This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. Local productions on QTV are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. Everyone. Welcome to Junior Doan's The Spark. I'm Junior Doan, and thank you for joining us. Today I'm talking with former television anchor, Emmy Award winner, and poet Roland G. Smith on his new adventure writing and anchoring documentaries. Roland, so uh, what I'm thinking about is you have written on all aspects <laughs> of news, documentaries, and other kinds mm -hmm. of things, but also poetry. How did writing poetry change your worldview? I think I should tell you why I started to write poetry first, if that's okay. Please. My son, at um, 25 years of age, was diagnosed with brain cancer. That's a blow. And it was uh, severe enough that we knew from the pathology that he probably only had about five years to live. And I said to my wife one day, you know what, I, I need to think of a way that I can accelerate the teachings that a father would do for a son in those five years if we were to have a full lifetime together. Mm. So I said, I'm going to take some time. And I took some time off work. And I drove, we were living in San Diego at the time, and I drove up the coast. And every time I could pull over, I would do so and go sit on a rock somewhere looking out over the Pacific Ocean. And as a journalist, I always carried a pad with me and a pencil. So I started taking, jotting down my thoughts as I was uh, sitting there looking out over the, at the water. And I'd get back to the car and I would read what I had written and there in almost perfect iambic pentameter was a poem. This happened every single time that I would stop. So once the muse is opened in the spirit, the spirit cannot stop writing. The spirit uses my body, my mind, my consciousness to create uh, the essence of truths that I was feeling, 
seeing and uh, creating the answers that I needed to have to help my son. That's how I began poetry. I got back to my office and then my wife and I were invited to a very formal black tie New Year's Eve party in Tucson, Arizona. So it's an easy drive, it's a three or four hour drive. My host, uh, a very wealthy man, uh, hosting probably 30 people for New Year's Eve dinner, said to me at the dinner table, what have you been doing lately? And I said, I've been writing some poetry. He says, oh, that's interesting. Do you have any with you? And I did in my briefcase back at the, the office, or back at the bedroom. And he said, would you share it with the group? So I went back to the room, got a couple of poems, and read them. And he looked at me and he said, I'd like to publish. And I said, publish? He says, yes, I own a publishing company. Well, I said, you know what? I don't have enough poems. He says, you call me when you have enough poems. About two months later, I called him. I had 120 <laughs> poems finished, different styles. And so basically eight or nine months from the day I wrote the first poem, the book was on the stands. Incredible. Well, I would do, I would do a book tour and talk to uh, young writers groups. And they would say, well, you can't do that. I said, well, I didn't know you couldn't do that. If the universe wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Amplify what you were talking about when you said the spirit. When the spirit breaks through, you are the conduit in a sense. We are divided into three entities, body, mind, spirit. The spirit controls the mind. The mind controls the body. Consciousness is part of the spirit, not necessarily the mind, the brain, uh, from my perspective and from my studies of, of uh, esoteric things throughout uh, my life, that uh, that spirit is, the is part of the universe. You and I are one in, in spirit. You and I are one with every single individual on this planet. We are one. It's, it's, it always surprises me that, that people say, that, well, we know we're different. And, and that's, uh, that's a separateness. And I say that we are not different. We are one. It's, it, the diversity within the oneness is the miracle. Mm-hmm. And if you had not had this really horrible experience with your son and had you not decided to go out and teach him and had you not decided to sit down and write how would you have discovered spirit well i already had you had oh yes i i think i was nine or ten when i realized that uh, that the dogma that i was being preached at by my by my parents and by my church was uh was was not fulfilling enough and did not answer the questions that I already knew in my heart. And so how did you find answers to those questions in your heart? By going within, by uh, meditating, by uh, practicing. Uh, the use of 
of the the power from within. It's that's uh, all within. It's all, all it's within. Everybody has it. Not a single not a single person. Even the people you don't like, the people you hate, the people who have done you wrong, they are part and parcel with you. At some point, there's a balance. There, there's there's no judgment as far as I'm concerned. When you get to the other side, right? There's only consequence. Hmm. Amplify. What does that mean? Only consequence. Well. Gil Braun, the great poet, right. the, uh, said that the murdered is not without responsibility for their murder. I think what he was saying is that a lot of this stuff is planned out before we ever get. It's not predestined, because this is the only, the only planet, from my perspective, of choice. The, the, you know, when uh, Jesus said at one time, in my Father's house there are many mansions, mm -hmm. what he was saying to, to the followers at that time was the way they could understand was that, uh, you know, beyond, beyond this existence, this time, this space, uh, there's so much more. That's, this is the illusion. So say a little bit about more between <laughs> predetermined Hmm. Or say fate. Yes. And well, I don't think there's anything as fate. I think there's there's choice. There's always constant choice. Okay. It's not is uh, is it is it predestined? Were you predestined to um, to 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 marry? Were you? Are you I'm assuming you're married. I'm a widow, but the, yes, okay, I don't know. I actually do believe in free choice. I, I feel and, you should and be. A, and I'm a widower, uh, so you know it, it. It's okay, from my belief systems, the way I've developed it. I, it is only uh, it, it is a choice, um, and you, you can choose to do good. You can choose to be a mean son of a gun. You you can choose to uh, you know to. Take the road less traveled, or, or follow the pack. In, in in your philosophy, what makes a person choose the dark side or the light side to be mean or to be great, or generous I, in the moment? Well, I think I think that when we were on the other side, before we were ever born, possibilities were presented to us, and so we could always make that choice when the possibility to to steal something or to help someone. I mean, all of those are choices. Uh, and, and I don't think that we are, we are punished for anything we do after we pass. So what choices did you make? When? Pre-life. Pre well, I have no idea. How have they played out in your life? I, I, well, I think that uh, they, they played out pretty well, actually. I've had a, from my perspective, again, um, uh, successful career. Um, I had uh, th three sons, two of whom are still on this plane, and they're, they're doing very well. I spent 52 years with the same woman, uh, and she she passed from uh, from cancer. But That's I'll tell tough. you something: it uh, uh, she passed, and so did my son, with dignity, and and literally teaching those who loved them how to die, because we're all going to do it someday. What did you learn from her about how to die? 
If you care to answer, you don't have to answer. I learned that when you're dying and very close to your final passage, you begin to laugh. That's what she taught me. She had a marvelous, wonderful sense of humor and a belief system that there was life after life. But you do not believe? Of course I do. Oh, you do? Oh, I do. Okay. So at this point in your there's life... There's life before life, and there's life, and then was this life. And once we finish what we came here to do, why would we want to stick around in this time and density? Curiosity. You think? That's yes. Good. All right. That's possible. Or to continue to learn and to grow. True. Yeah. What are you learning about now? You feel you have to learn uh, about or should you learn. And your and your marvelous questions. Oh, well, I appreciate the compliment. Thank <laughs> You're you. You're welcome. <laughs> is it a? This is not the kind of interview that I would ever uh, uh, give voluntarily. Oh, <laughs> well, what? that is a no, compliment. No, I'm teasing. But uh, I love talking about this uh, because uh, I, I believe it. It's a passion of, of understanding and. Uh, when I'm interviewed by, you know, somebody who, who wants to do a term paper and talk about journalism and stuff, these are not the kind of questions they ask you. It's too bad they don't. Yes. You know. So what are the responsibilities of this age then now for you? Well, I'll be 77 in about uh, a month. And I... Uh, I have uh, a few aches and pains, like we all do at, as we get older. But I, uh, my responsibility is to to share uh, through my writings or through the poetry uh, what I believe to be the truth of being. And I also choose. You're familiar with uh, Edgar Tolle? I am. Yeah. Well. I believe what he's correct when he says living in the now. Mm -hmm. That's what this conversation is we're living in the now. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun part of life. Yes, it, indeed it is. So, uh, always, always. Sometimes nows are really painful. <laughs> For the most part, they aren't. So That's true, but, uh, but I think it's our choice to see it as painful or our choice to see it as uh, positive and, and part of our growth. What would you like to learn at this point besides what you just said? Oh boy, that's a great question. I would like to learn that when we do pass, we do in fact start to laugh. My wife showed me that that's what she, you can be done, but I still have to do it. Are there things you'd like to do between now and then? I'd like to meet Julia Roberts, for one. I've been a fan of hers for years, and I always tease people that, you know, if they say, what can I get you? I say, Julia Roberts' home what? phone number. But yeah. <laughs> I'd love to meet her, because I think she's a, a, a superb actress. Um, what else would I like to do? I'd like to visit Kyoto in Japan, which I haven't done yet. I've been to Japan a couple of times, but never got to Kyoto. Um, 
in the past, I mean, I've met so many of the great spiritual leaders. I, 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 one of the few people that ever interviewed uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, I've met the Dalai Lama several different times and was with him when he was announced that he won the Peace Prize. Uh, I've met imams and muftis and uh, the chief uh, priest of the sacred forest of Togo. Oh. Met him at Oxford College and he was, in December, it was cold, he was wearing no shoes. And I said to him, sir, why are you wearing no shoes? He says, to feel the earth. Oh, what a beautiful answer. Yes. What a beautiful answer. What are some of the other things you learned from those people while you were with them? Well, sometimes in the negative comes to the fore that there are two groups of people in the, on the planet that cause wars. Parliamentarians <laughs> and religious people. The dogmatic religious people. And I, I, there's a differentiation between being spiritual than being religious. I, I once researched the, uh, the meaning of the word dogma. Okay. Took it back to his ancient Greek, which was uh, uh, dokian was his root word. Dokian in ancient Greek meant to feel good. Oh. So I was, I've concluded from that that dogmas today are somebody else's belief system that makes you feel good. They're not necessarily what's inside you. Yes, you referred to several times to what's inside. What did you find inside yourself, other also, than we're all one? What a, else? A vastness, a vastness of uh, unconditional love. So what is the role of love in your life? What is the role of love? Yes. Are we talking about, uh, let's talk about unconditional love. Yeah, that's which, what I meant. Which is basically what uh, the, the great masters and teachers uh, throughout history have uh, said that's what we need to, to do, have unconditional love. Now, and that's very hard to do. Continuously. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because we all make, because well, we're, we're, um, we're finite beings, you know? We, we make mistakes and, uh, and we'll continue to make them until we don't make them anymore. And that's when we've evolved toward, uh, some religions call it nirvana, and others would call it toward a oneness with all it is. But it's the same. It's, it's the same thing, I think. So how do you teach this to people, this unconditional By love? being the evidence of it. In how you treat people, or in how you talk about it, both. Are they receptive? You must be. Uh, uh, some are, and some are not. What I mean, makes I a have, difference? I have uh, uh, relatives who are certainly uh, conditioned into the um, dogma of their belief, rather than the spirituality of their knowingness. Slow that down for me. The dogma of their belief versus the spirituality well, of their... The dogma of their belief is what I, the, I got their it. church teaches. Right, and the uh, spirituality of their knowingness means... If they go within, I see. they will find all the answers that they seek. Are you saying people are reluctant to go within? Mm -hmm. They're afraid. Of what? Um, themselves. 
they're, they're afraid of, some, most people don't love themselves. You gotta love yourself first before you can love humanity. Uh, Mother Teresa met her at, at Oxford College. She puts her arm in mine, she says, let's go for a walk around the quadrangle. And she says, I know what you do, and it's very important that you know how important, you know, the responsibility that you have to, to show love uh, within the media today so that people can learn that it's possible. And I said, well, I don't know if, that's, if I can do that, Mother, because you know, this is a newscast. And she says, well, why don't, I'll, here's my phone number. Why don't you call me every month so, you can, so I can remind you of, uh, of your responsibility and perhaps offer some guidance <laughs> How to, what a clever woman. <laughs> yes, she is. Well, she's well, more than clever. Yeah. Um, and so for the longest time, every month I called her and I asked her permission to tape these stuff. Oh. And, and we would air it on oh, uh, here in New York. And what kinds of questions would you ask or what kind of comments would she make? I just make? let her talk. You know, I'd say, well, uh, what's going on in the world today that concerns you, mother? And, uh, and then at one, at one point I said, uh, there's a symposium that I'm going to uh, speak at and th they would love to have you come and speak. They'll, they'll send you the money for uh, first class air travel and put you up. She says, tell them that I can't do it, but would they please take that money, what they would pay me and give to the poor? A remarkable woman. Indeed. Indeed. I love how she engaged you and made you responsible. Oh, yeah. that was she was a cunning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, in her own way. Yeah. So who do you talk to now who are in that category of leading religious uh, proponents? I read a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some, there are spiritual leaders out there. In fact, the world is filled with uh, uh, incarnated masters. We just have to find them. How do you find them? How would an audience member find them? Uh, you start by seeking. And I, I can't give you any other guidance than you, you, you set the condition that I would like to, to meet, uh, or I'd like to learn more, or, or, or greet an, an ascended master. And believe it or not, the universe, if you have the intention to, to, have, to do that, the universe will fulfill it. It must. It's part of the natural laws of spirituality. So does it require one intention, or do you have to do it on a regular basis, so to speak? Well, I think your intention has to have the, the power of constant thought. Oh, I like that. The power of constant thought. I really like that. Good. I'm Thank sure. you for you that gift. No, I, I, view, I will credit you and quote you. You don't need to. No, but I think it's important to Cred have... Credit the source. Don't credit me. Well, you are the source because I wouldn't have heard it if it hadn't been for you. So. I am just the conduit, as you are, and everybody in this room All of, right. of the source. But let me not lose it. The power of... What did I just say? What did you just say? The power of what? The power of thought. The power of thought, right. Right. 
okay, I'm, I'm really interested in that. So, you know, I see a lot of tragedy in life. Uh, I've certainly had hard personal times. Other people have them at different stages. Some like to be unhappy or cannot deal with really hard situations. And my heart goes out to them. And I, some you can um, give energy to, and some do not. And you would say that is a choice, too. Well, all you can do is love them unconditionally. Right. And if they're crying and hurt and can't understand and don't want to do or, 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 or be anything other than uh, in pain, you have to love that. Love them for their choice. You know, my brother died unexpectedly in his 40s. And at the funeral later, different people come up to me. And they put their arms around me and they say, we love you, Junior. We love you, Junior. And the first time it happened, I, I was sort of startled. I, you know, I was out of it anyway <laughs> with a shock. And, and then I understood because then I accepted at that energy level what they were trying to embrace me with. And I tried going forward in my own life mm -hmm. to learn from that. Did his death change you? Well, I had a lot of exterior life problems that resulted of uh, that that needed a lot of attention and a lot of heartache to live through. <laughs> so, yeah. But I'm on the other side, you know, no, I you know, got it around. When I talk to people and I tell them, you know, uh, that my son has, has died of brain cancer and my wife has passed with cancer, and, and, and people almost immediately want to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I say, well, thank you for, for that sympathetic thought, but my, my son and my wife are far, far better off than we are at this moment. They're, they're, they're having a grand old time. What do you do to keep yourself fresh? You're involved in so many different projects right now. All right. On a daily basis? I'll, well, for the longest time until probably the last four or five months, I haven't been doing it daily. But I did a daily blog since 1980, 1996. But it's, it's been a lot. I have a collection now of blogs that's probably in the three or 4,000 um, item. You know, if I'd had them on a piece of paper rather than on the computer, I'd have to get buy four, more, four or five more filing cabinets. So, When are you drawn to write poetry and when are you drawn to blog? Is it an aspect? Writing poetry at all times. At all times. Give you an example. Please. May I? I? I brought, this is my last poetry book, but there's one here that's called The Red-Headed Woodpecker. Okay. This came right after the incident happened. I heard a thump and knew the worst. A bird had struck my window pane. The morning sun's reflections curse did hide a flight that was in vain. With tuft of red upon her head and black and white and yellow plumes, she lay so still, her life now dead, her nature gone her flight entombed. I picked her up, so light in weight, and gave a loving soft caress. A fatal flight, a saddened fate, I hope she passed without duress. I wondered if the all did know, and was the spirit bird alive? 
Were all her colors now aglow? And were there angels at her side? That's beautiful. I want to thank you all for tuning in. We learned a great deal today. The spirit is within you. You're connected all. Live love. Have the inner truth be vocalized in your life through uh, gratitude, <laughs> action, thought. Be the person that you are meant to be and make, um, make it safe for others. Recognize the goodness in them as well because they have it. Thank you so very much. Be kind to everyone you know and accept their kindness back. And I'll see you next week. And thank you to Roland who has shared some of the wonders of his life with us and his poetry as well and who lives what he believes. And that's what you should do. Make it better, everybody. And I promise you, your life will be great. Thank you again for tuning in. I will see you so very soon next week. Blessings to all in your life. Thank you. You're welcome. To contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.juniadonethespark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones the Spark. Local productions on QTV are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV.